Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Authentic Audience Podcast. I am back in San Francisco today. I don't feel like I've been home (laughs) in months because I haven't. So it feels good to be home, back in the office. Um, Not that I haven't been working, but I have been playing a lot. I have found a new level of balance in my life. I think a big part of that has to do with this detox. Um, My husband and I have shared a little bit about it on social media. Um, We committed, we've been working with a nutritionist and for the last two weeks have had no alcohol, no sugar, no gluten, no dairy. And what I was saying at the beginning, no fun. Um, But it's been just the opposite of that. It's been a really beautiful two weeks since the last podcast recording is basically when we started this. And I am waking up so clear, (laughs) so um, happy. It's affected my serotonin levels. It's affected my health, how my gut feels. Um, It's been pretty incredible. I can say, honestly, I don't think I've gone 10 days without drinking since I was maybe 17, 18. And I would like to say that it has not had a major effect, but the last two weeks, yeah, it's real. Um, it's, it's definitely real. So, um, I feel in like in a really good place and I was really excited to talk to my guest today, Viet Simkin. It's funny how these Guests always drop in at the perfect time in my life, and I was truly blown away by this episode, by this conversation. I bow down to this woman. Um, She's something else. (laughs) Um, She just released her first book called Don't Just Sit There. She's a meditation teacher, an artist, a spiritual leader. She's a powerful, powerful human being who has absolutely found her calling and has created abundance and success in her life these last five years. And it was so refreshing to hear her take on everything, to hear her take on her valuing herself, her pricing, her worth, how she's grown her business so fast and so steadily. The journey, she has an amazing story, an incredible story. If you haven't heard it, I definitely definitely suggest um, doing some more research on her. We don't get too deep into it on this episode. We talk about business a lot. We talk about her book a lot, growth, spirituality, consciousness, authenticity, inauthenticity, all of the things. I am so grateful to know her. I'm so grateful to have met her for the first time today. And I can't tell you how, how much I enjoyed this talk. It was just profound the plans and visions she has for her future are extraordinary, and I can't wait to see her reach them and then some. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Viet Simkin is an artist and spiritual teacher. She is the founder of the Center of the Cyclone, an immersive meditation experience, and co-founder of Club Soda, an event series exploring sobriety. She's been featured in Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, and Elle, and just released her new book, Don't Just Sit There, 44 Insights to Get Your Meditation Practice Off the Cushion and Into the Real World. In a world full of spiritual businesses and teachers, Biet stood out to me the moment I discovered her, and I am so excited to have her with me today. Welcome. 
Thank you so much. It's so good to be together. I love this. I love it too. So I just want to jump in and start by saying, how are you? How are you feeling? Where are you? Tell me everything. I'm I'm good. I'm in Montauk, which is basically like, I think that if they ever created heaven, you know, like if, or if we were like pods and we just could create like the perfect place to be for the rest of your life, this would be it. Like it literally feels, I mean, also like I'm a city girl, like I'm from born and raised in New York city. So I think I get my fill of like the rubbing elbows with like every single ethnicity and every single age group at all times while like rats run by like <laughs> during the year. So all being here all summer is quite extraordinary. So that's where we are right now in Montauk. That's beautiful. I've, we just got back from Santa Cruz. I'm in San Francisco right now. And I feel that way about Santa Cruz. It's like everybody actually lives there. Like they're living, they're surfing, they're walking, they're experiencing yeah. life. And um, that's how I feel about being there. It's so nice. Um, So how are you feeling? Like you have a lot going on. You just released a book. Um, What are you up to right now? It's been a lot of events here in the Hamptons, actually. Oh, cool. Which is, you know, really fancy. And, you know, it's all the things that you would would want from a Hamptons event. So we did like a, a book brunch, book signing at the Surf Lodge, which is just so beautiful and so well curated. Like everything the Surf Lodge does is just very, um, so well done. And that, that's really because of Jema, the owner. She's just such a, I don't think she, she doesn't look like a perfectionist, but everything she touches is perfect. So, and when I say she doesn't look like a perfectionist, because to me, perfectionists look like emaciatedly thin and anxious people. She does not look <laughs> like that. So uh, she looks like this gorgeous um, Latina woman. So that, and then we did something with Donna Karen at Urban Zen. And Urban Zen is basically, it's just, just such a bridge of what I, you know, I'm creating in the world and have been creating, which is taking this like, I shop at Barney's, I'm okay with making massive amounts of money, traveling the world, like going to the Maldives. I'm fine with all of that. I do not believe that it takes away from my right and my privilege to seek and find enlightenment. And at the same time, I don't think enlightenment is something that's going to come easy, nor do I think shopping at Barney should, like both of those things either are difficult for you or they're not. Do you know what I mean? That is such an exhale to hear you say that. (laughs) Which part? Just the fact that you can do both. Yeah. I think that that's a really big topic right now. And it's something that comes up for me a lot too, as my business starts to expand and I see my bank account and I get to fly first class sometimes. Granted, that's that's points because my husband's really good at that. But finding the... I'm also going to Nepal for a month in October to be in the Himalayas. And, and I think I struggle with that. I struggle with the wanting success and wanting luxury and also, you know, praying every day and meditating every day and wondering if that's okay. (laughs) It most certainly is okay. And I think that wanting should be a dance. Like that's the Mm -hmm. thing that meditation and prayer offer is this complete disconnection from the want, right? Like I want those things. I want even more things. Like I'm already living into the future of where I'm going. So for me, like a couple of years ago, where I am now doing events at Surf Lodge and Urban Zen would have been like my wet dream. But of course, now that I'm here, I'm like, that's awesome. But when's Madison Square Garden happening? You know, so it's like yes. super like inflow towards the next and the next thing. And 
Of course it's that way because, because we're expanding and it's like sex, right? So if like you see someone that is really cute to you, like when you're 12 or whatever, you don't know them yet, right? So you still have to go talk to them. You still have to figure out like, do they like the same bands you do? Like there's all that excitement and sex energy inside of it. And so it's designed perfectly that way. However, at the same time, you have to be completely in flow of what I call God's will, but I'm not religious, right? The universe has a will to it. And I say it, you know, many times a day, I'll just say thy will not mine be done. Like just yesterday, like someone didn't invite me to a party and it was really weird. Like I was like standing there in the street with them and they invited someone else right in front of me and didn't invite me. And I was like, what the fuck, you know, but it was just like an awkward moment. But as they did it, I was like, obviously I'm not meant to be at that party. Like there's somewhere else I'm supposed to be in that moment. So I should really look into the quantum of that rather than focusing on why this random person doesn't think I'm important enough to be invited to their party. You know, I love that. I mean, this is already so refreshing. I'm going to, I can tell I'm really going to enjoy this conversation. Everyone who comes on, it's always like exactly what I'm sort of dealing with in the moment. I love the way that that the energy of the universe, how it's always that way. And Mm -hmm. I think that's big right now for me. I'm hiring, I'm scaling. And um, one of my coaches calls it these growth edges where two years ago, I couldn't have envisioned being where I am now. And so here we are and I'm looking to what's next and how we get there and how we stay rooted in the flow. And I think that's something that inspires me about you and about success in general, especially in our industry or in this world that we live in is you're so clearly doing what you're supposed to be doing because it's working. (laughs) (laughs) Like like I see people and I talk to people that are just coming up a brick against a brick wall over and over again. I'm like, maybe that's not what you're supposed to be doing because yes, it's hard work and yes, it's a hustle. But when you are in alignment, it does just happen. I mean, that's what I tend to find anyway. And, and I see that that's what's happening for you. And I think that might be a nice little segue into my first question, which is you have a lot going on. You have a lot of what's you have, um, you founded a center, a meditation center an experience. You're a co-founder of this opportunity. You're speaking, you're at Lululemon events, you have a book, lots of different what's. And I think from looking at you, your how seems to be these meditation tools, um, but you're giving them or delivering them in all these different ways. But what is your why? What is sort of that thing that you come back to that helps you make a decision, whether it's I'm going to go speak at that event, or I'm going to write this book or whichever mode of delivery, I guess, if you will, you're getting your gifts out into the world. What is the purpose for you? Mm. Mm. It's such a good question. There's a couple of whys and they, um, yeah, I'll just go into them. So like, well, the first why is that I believe that when I first started doing the work that I'm doing, there was nowhere in the space to meditate in a way that wasn't completely spiritually based. And obviously I'm a spiritual teacher in a deep, long-winded foundation studied my entire life. So I have 40 plus years of study. My father was an awakened shaman. So I'm not just like some 
bimbo who came out of like whatever like whatever and was like oh my god I'm gonna like guide you through a meditation um that is not my story Um, yeah and so like I care deeply about consciousness and I don't believe personally that most people have consciousness there's the scene in the matrix Mm -hmm. where like Keanu Reeves like realizes what it means to be awake in the matrix and he he gets that he can just lift up his hand and bullets that are coming at him in full speed can be stopped midstream and then he can make them just drop down do you remember that scene I do we just watched that recently Oh, really? So you know that scene. And so like to me, like I have verified through living my life, I've lived, you know, come from poverty to wealth. I've gone from heroin addiction to sobriety. I've gone from being totally single chronically to having the husband of my dreams. I've gone from losing my daughter to SIDS to having a healthy baby. I've gone everything, every duality you could possibly imagine I am all of those things. And the only way that someone can live to tell those kinds of stories, the transmutation of consciousness is to say, I get that all of this isn't really happening the way that it appears to be happening. I lifted my hand up. These bullets were coming right at me. I stopped them. They fell. I get the secret. I have the secret. And once you get that, you really want to share it with the world. The problem is, is that it doesn't matter how many fucking times you share that secret with the world. Everyone is hardwired to forget on a daily basis. So when you wake up in the morning, your first go-to thoughts are not, today is going to be the day of abundance. Like all things that have ever <laughs> I've ever wanted are just going to fall into place. I'm just going to flow into life. And even if you do wake up like that, because you've been writing affirmations every day and meditating and praying every day, and you're like in some kind of deep flow, even then, at some point during the day, some things externally are going to happen that are going to show you that you are wrong. And bitch, you better sit down because nothing that you dream of is ever going to happen. And you're asleep and you're, you're a loser. No one likes you and you're going to die. And you don't even know when it's going to happen. So what's the meaning of it all, right? So there's this purposelessness and there's this feeling of emptiness that we all experience because we don't have evidence or proof of the fact that there really is an underlying meaning to all of this. So my first why is I feel like it is my duty to share that love that I have with with consciousness and to bring consciousness in for people. And I do that through these epic meditation experiences, which I score with my own music. Mm. And my other why is I don't believe that meditation should only be reached by letting go of your belongings, by moving to an ashram, by like sitting in zazen while some dude hits you with a stick to make sure you're paying attention. Like that is not the way I want to do it because I believe in aliveness. I believe in sexuality. I believe in, and not sexuality, like I'm on some ashram with 10 husbands and like a couple wives. Like I'm not getting weird. I'm super normal. Like from the outside, my life looks super normal. And what interests me is actually, how can you actually become a president? or become an emperor or become, you know, uh, a famous artist or whatever like life position that you would like to have, whoever's listening to this, like, what's your vision? I'm sure your vision is not sitting in lotus pose in a fucking cave somewhere reaching samadhi. So if your vision is like in the world, like how can you do that, but covertly be, be in a pursuit of your enlightenment and your awakening? That is my number one purpose. Like it may look like I give a fuck about being on the cover of Vogue and Lord knows I give a fuck, but it is my secondary aim. My primary aim is just to be in contact with this light. It's so beautiful. I mean, there's so many things that you just said in that. I can't 
possibly agree more. I mean, I have this whole, it's like, it's funny because we all have a different way of saying it. And I say have coffee with resistance. And I literally, my mug says resistance on it every day because I wake up with doubt every day and we have to have those rituals. And I think as an entrepreneur, A and B entrepreneur, being an entrepreneur for me has been the biggest I think spiritual process and also self growth, um, every single day. And I like that you say it's a reminder daily because I am, I can go to bed on such a high and such a flow and whatever, no matter what I wake up the next day, like even before my podcast, actually, that's probably the biggest one for me is the unworthiness that creeps in because the people that sit on the other end of, from me are really, powerful people, really beautiful human beings, very successful that I want to learn from that inspire me. And I'm just like, what, what do I have? What value do I have? And I go into my Mm. ritual and I do my thing and I play my Hanuman Chalisa and whatever it is, um, that gets you into that place of, it doesn't even matter. Like this isn't even real. We're just having a conversation. And if you show up, it's because this conversation is meant to happen. And if you don't show up and you blow me off, it's not because I'm unworthy. It's because it wasn't meant to happen. But it's literally daily that I have to come back to that place. And it's so refreshing to hear someone like you, who from the outside looks like you're very far along in the spiritual process and consciousness and all of that, um, that it's still a daily reminder. Like it's still coming back every single day to remember. And I think that's the biggest thing I wrote. I wrote recently, I was at some seminar or event and they said, what, why do you come to events like this? And I just wrote to remember. Mm, It's like so easily to forget. It's so easy to forget, but it's also so easy to remember. And I think that's just the the game that that we're all playing, mm-hmm. especially I find when you do what you love, like the yeah. ego and the unworthiness and the lack of value is even stronger <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, yeah. Like, do I deserve to be getting paid because I love doing this and that whole conversation? And actually, that's my next question is when I was watching your video, um, which I love, it's on your website. It's so well done. It's I've probably watched it five or six times in the last couple of months. And you talk a lot about charging for your services. And Mm -hmm. although you love what you do, some days for me, I can't believe I get paid because I love it so much. But then if I'm not charging that resentment, that imbalance, that unworthiness, all of that comes up. And I think at what point was there sort of an aha moment? I have a lot of listeners who are at the beginning stages of maybe they're still in their nine to five and they're like dipping their toes in their actual calling and what they feel they're supposed to be doing. And it's really scary charging for that. And for me, I had a moment about a year ago where I'm like, done, this is my hourly, I cannot. And it's not that I don't want to help you. And it's not that I don't want to be of service to you, but it's understanding this is, it's not me that's worth this price. It's the value you're going to get from this call. It's the experience you're going to have. And maybe you could just talk to that for a moment, that sort of switch that needs to happen when you're doing something you love and you decide to make a business out of it. Mm. I love the question and I really hear you. I think that um, it's a blend of things. Like it was a journey. It wasn't like 
one day I was broke making $20 an hour as a caterer. And the next day I was like, and this will be, you know, $5,000 a month to have me on retainer. Right. Which I think is pretty (laughs) low. That's like my current rate. And I just am like, that seems really low to me. And not because like I'm saying it's not enough. It feels great. You pay me that I give you this, these services. But in my mind, I'm like, I'm an artist. So as an artist who's creating something that's completely priceless and it's going to bring so much value to your life that your entire life from the ground up will be completely changed. To me, that's like, that's worth billions of dollars. So anything I charge outside of that or under that is a sale. Like to me, it's like, if I'm telling someone this is going to be five grand, I'm like, you're getting a a deal. Yeah. You're getting a steal. Like, and I always think of, uh, of artists. I think of Leonardo da Vinci, or I think of, uh, you know, I don't think of Picasso, but I I just think of conscious artists who created things that have changed us from, from the inside out. And, and I think of the value that I've received from that. So to me, that's, that's very helpful. Um, when I first started my business, I didn't start it with a price at, at all. I could not do that. I, not that I couldn't, and I'm not suggesting like, go for it. If you want to try it that way, what worked for me was starting with, um, asking my clients to decide whatever they wanted to pay. Like I was like, I'm going to create this for you. Yeah. And this was about now it's probably been five or six years. And I would say, this is what I'm going to create for you. And then you just pay me whatever you believe the value is for this thing. And I want the number to be something between um, what you can like fiscally afford with, given your life circumstances or and what you feel the true value is for a service like this, right? And people were totally taken aback. Now, mind you, I was like making cold calls to people and saying like, this is what I do. Right. I'm a spiritual teacher. I think back then I was calling it a meditation guide because I wasn't even completely clear on what was happening to me. And so I was like, I'm a meditation guide. I don't know if you know this, but this is what I do. I'd like to offer you a private session with me. And this is how I charge. And then people would, uh, seven out of 10 people would say yes. But then even out of those seven out of 10 people would be like, Oh, could you just give me an idea of what you mean? Like they wanted me to say, Oh, it's like a hundred or like, it's like 150 or it's like 60 or whatever number. And so I was like, nope, I can't do that for you. Part of your work with me will begin with you figuring out what this number is and being inauthentic, you know, giving with that number and feeling good about it. And I made everything from 60 bucks an hour to uh, 300 bucks an hour. I had then a client who was giving me 300 bucks an hour and it felt so, you know, back then that felt so abundant. Like I was like, oh my God, you know, and he was like a celebrity. So I was like, this is just incredible. This is happening. And Um, and one guy gave me 80 cents once for a session. He came to a session with me, he did an hour and then he left and he put change in my hand. And I literally felt like I was tripping on acid because I was like, wait, what is happening right now? Like this person is paying me 80 cents, but it was the most incredible feeling ever because I just knew that money was flowing onto me in sheer abundance. I wasn't worried. It felt very good to give him that session. Mm. And, and he left and I, I just remember feeling very good in my heart and in in what was happening in that moment. I never felt like, oh, who do you think you are? Like, whatever, you've got to give me more. And mm-hmm. after about a year of doing it this very, like, open-minded way, I was making about $3,000 a month then, which for me was like, it was a lot of money because I was working, like, not that many hours. It was just all, and I was doing what I loved. Um, but 
but you know, of course today I couldn't live on that. And like, I can't even think my, my, uh, monthly expenses are so insane. Isn't it funny how that happens? <laughs> yeah. You're just like, I knew that it was going to happen, but I was just like, oh, but I never wanted to become like that guy from fight club where like my couch and my condo become my like God. Right. But the truth is, is that you have to both have your orchestra playing and know that at any minute, you know, the tsunami could hit, like you need to be free. But at the same time, that doesn't mean you can't tend to your garden. Like if I go to my garden, I pull out the weeds, I pour the water on and I gaze at the roses. That doesn't mean that I don't know that they could die. At any minute, you know, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people get really um, scared about that. They, they're like, how do I create all this wealth? Because then it creates all this, like Bob Dylan said, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose, right? And I just remember being like, oh, that's freedom, right? Like, and sometimes I still see homeless people in the street on their cardboard box. And I'm like, that's a certain level of freedom that I get why they're choosing that. But to me, it's like, what's cooler? Like being Jay-Z and feeling that level of freedom or being some guy in a cardboard box and feeling that level of freedom? And to me, the answer is Jay-Z because I don't know what Jay-Z feels, but for me to be Jay-Z levels of successful on the ground level, but to have the level of freedom that the homeless guy has in the box, that's what I'm bringing to the world. Wow. I think that's so powerful. And it's so, I think the, the money conversation is a really hard one. A lot of my clients really struggle with that. And that answer right now, I just want to like record it and plaster it everywhere Um, because and I think the the big part too is how it changed for you right like three thousand dollars was enough and that was similar for me when I started my business and now as I grow and expand I was on this I do this women's group which was very profound this year I, I have a lot of masculine energy and I don't surround myself with a lot of women in business So I joined a women's like entrepreneur group. That's like all of the things that affect your business, your boundaries. I had none time management, terrible. All I do is work, all this kind of stuff, Um, relationships and your emotional relationships with money. And in one of the sessions, we all went around and we said the number that we wanted to make monthly in order to feel like good. And I went last, I guess I was like last on the little call. And my number, I was mortified to say, was literally 10 times everyone else in that call. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) I'm trying to grow this thing. And we're really helping people like, just like you are like to be, I mean, my purpose is to help people like you get your message out to the right people. I see myself as this conduit, this messenger, this reminder that you can fly, whatever it is, um, and get it out there and 10 X your revenue, 10 X what you're making and also your audience and who you're affecting. And in order to do that, I need, cause she had us combine our monthly, our personal expenses with the business expenses. And I've just hired three people. And so I want to pay them really well. And so just to have that moment of, and I felt good saying it. And I think it actually, I was scared to say it, but I think it actually inspired the other women on that call to dream a little bit bigger and to just not have that edge. I think like 3000 enough, like some of these women on the call, it was like 5,000, 8,000, stuff like that. And to have mine be $80,000, I think, oh wait, are, are we still here? I hear you. Yeah. Okay, good. Sorry. You disappeared for a moment. 
Rory can edit that part out. But just to have that moment of realizing, wow, this is where my business is at and it's okay. I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of people are coming back to. It's okay. Um, now I'm in a group that I'm the lowest on the totem pole, Yeah, um, it's the, which is where I want to be. I never want to be, you know, the most successful one in the room. I'm in the wrong room. Um, and so now I'm in a new spot where I'm learning and I'm seeing, and these women are so heart centered. And so whatever it is, like, it doesn't even have to be a spiritual offering, um, to see that these people, this is really how they're supposed to be helping. And one of them is a financial coach and seeing how she's of service and helping people buy their first homes or whatever it is, which is not something I'm interested in doing, but just this bigger sort of thing that's happening of charging Mm. for your Mm. value and loving it. Like to me, loving what you do, it doesn't have to be spiritual work. It doesn't have to be being of service in the typical way. I I give this talk called marketing your Dharma. And the woman I use as an example is someone who gives spray tans. Um, Because when I had this experience with her for my wedding, it sort of rocked me and humbled me a bit because she, her purpose is to make people feel beautiful. And she does this, her, what is this business? And you come in and it's this sanctuary and she's crafted these formulas. And when she does the spray tan, it's like, she's, she's actually channeling. It's like art to her. And I was like, Whoa. And she has a wait list a month out. She charges three times with the other competitors or whatever on Yelp were charging, but I picked her and I saw her for, for a reason. And I think, I don't know, I don't really know where I was going with that, but just hearing you talk about money in this way, being who you are and inspiring how you do, it's Mm. really, really refreshing to know that the business side is important and it clearly has to be when you decide to do something like this and create business out of your passion, there's a business responsibility. Like you can't, and I think that's the hardest part for me is people are like, oh, I don't do marketing. And I'm like, well, then you don't have a business. (laughs) Right. So, um, you know, if you don't want to market yourself and you don't want to actually sell to the people who are looking for you and share your services, um, what are we doing here? And so hearing you say all of this is just extremely refreshing. And I think it will be really beneficial to my listeners to hear these to hear these words. So thank you for sharing all of that. Um, Speaking of success, um, you are obviously very confident. I'm gathering that, but it's sort of a deeper, it doesn't feel ego. It just feels like a soul confidence. I don't really know how else to describe it, but it's like a, you're very sure of who you are and why you're here. Um, But you've also been featured on Vogue, Harper's Magazine. How does it feel? I think, for two questions. One, how does it feel to be recognized in such a big way, maybe on an ego and soul level, but also how do you stay grounded in that? I've seen a lot of teachers. I've worked with a lot of people, big brands, big names that I've really seen lose themselves in that experience, which breaks my heart. Um, and I don't see that happening for you. And just what is that process? Like you said, going from five years ago, making three grand a month, cold calling to now, how does that feel? Um, it feels really good, but it feels really um, easy 
Mm. I would say that, you know, I'm in a, I've been very blessed in that I'm gifted with a lot of um, hits of humility. It's not like my life is designed in such a way where I just wake up and everything goes my way. You know what I mean? I, I already disclosed that I want to guide 20,000 people at Madison Square Garden with a performance, right? Like that's a vision of mine. Mm. And so that's not happened yet. But the the point is, is that like, if that was already had happened, like if I was like, I woke up and I just became that instantly, I don't think that I would have the level of being to withstand it. I do feel very much so like I'm moving into having the level of being that's capable of withstanding that much bliss and mm. that much joy and also that much agony. Because I think what people don't understand is to be on stage at Madison Square Garden guiding 20,000 people through a meditation experience while scoring it with your own music and an orchestra or whatever that's going to look like. That means connecting with how tragic life is. That means like Mozart, I'm a, like Amadeus didn't like wake up and was like, you know, I'm just going to write the Requiem. Like, no, he was dying. You know, he was dying of like the bubonic plague or something. So I just feel like people don't get how much sadness needs to be channeled and funneled through their body and how much trauma and how much opening up to uh, loss and pain and doubt and shame and uh, feelings of disconnection. Like just, I mentioned earlier, this person who didn't invite me to the party, but then like invited this other person in front of me. That was like in and of itself, like pretty irrelevant as a moment goes, but it cut me so deeply because on some level, I'm still that seven-year-old girl who was in the playground with those little girls. And those girls said to me, like they circled me in a circle and they were like, I'm glad your mother died. Right. When my mom died, when I was six. I don't know what those girls were thinking and I don't blame them. I'm certain that they had like the best intentions, but like that's something that I went through and I know that I'm not special in that. I'm certain that almost everyone listening to this and probably you too have just an equal, a horrific story of horrible things being said to you or done to you by other children. And that's just the icing on the cake, right? We're not, you know, if you don't know my story, like everyone died there was a lot of fires, like I'm still here somehow, no one knows how, right? But that was, to me, a more important pain point because all mm, of us wow. can deal, yeah, because like all of us can deal with a, a parent dying or like um, a house burning down or like a, a car accident or something horrific. We can deal with that because there's no shame in that. There's something very like noble. Oh, I went through that. I was diagnosed with cancer, but then I made it through. Like there's something, there's a nobility to that. There's nothing fucking noble about being laughed at in the playground. There's nothing noble. It's not like you're sharing your little stories. And then I peed my pants in the second grade. And then I remember that time when like I told this boy I loved him, but then he was like, I don't love you back or whatever, those things cripple us because they form these ideas inside of us that we are truly never going to fit in, that we're not good enough and we're going to be thrown out of our tribe and we're going to be, we're going to die alone in the cold somewhere because this is like old ancient shit. And so when I think about, I don't know how I got down this, oh yeah, we're talking about how do I keep it real? It's like, I get given humble pie all the time. I get rejected all the time. I fail upwards all the time. I get told no all the time. I've been telling people my vision and my dream for so many years. And back in the day when I first started, people were like, um, it was like 17 heads with like 
fire in their eyes. They were like, what are you even fucking talking about? Nobody's ever mixed meditation and music before and like in an art gallery or in a museum. No one's ever done this. Now I'm being, are you in uh, San Francisco? Mm-hmm. I'm pla- I'm being flown to San Francisco to do a meditation at the planetarium in a couple of weeks. So you should oh my come. God, I'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually in town this month. I'm never here. That's so exciting. It's in September, in September. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see Madison Square Garden. Like I already see it. Like I want to be there, you know, I want to be there in that crowd, you know, when you're giving that meditation with the music, like I can see it. It's just, and I think everything that you said is just, it's so profound too, because the thing that you touched on about the, being the girl on the playground um, and calling that like a horrific experience is something that I actually, I struggle with a lot because I am very blessed um, or privileged or whatever you want to call. Uh, but mm. my parents are still here. They're still together. I had my college degree paid for. I, you know, didn't experience a crazy amount of trauma in my life, but then doing these childhood sort of uh, visualizations I've done, I like get to these moments when I was a little kid, just like you said, that have like profoundly traumatized me. And I always say, well, I didn't really have any traumatic experiences and I just sort of blow it off. Mm -hmm. And I feel really guilty about that. I live, I carry an extreme guilt, um, being who I am and having the life that I've had and a pressure to not fail because look what I have and look what I've had. Like I cannot fail. And it's sort of like the opposite end. And I've dealt with this a lot. And I talk to people who have gone through and I've witnessed, I've been there for extreme moments of grief and the whole, the whole thing that I myself have not sat in that seat of hard loss and hard grief. And I do believe that empathy can only get you so far and to not have experienced that it's sort of like waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it's this constant fear I have, this guilt I have. It's, it's funny, but then to hear you say that that experience as a child was equally, if not more profound in how you grew up and how you became and the unworthiness and the lack of value, it sort of gives me like some permission in a way to have the anxieties I have. I think that's one of my biggest uh, things I feel so guilty about is who am I to have these horrible fears and these crazy anxieties, these (laughs) paralyzing, you know, paralyzing moments of doubt and unworthiness. Like I shouldn't have these. Um, Mm. But then we, we have had these moments and I've had a moment just like that. I've had moments where teachers in the first grade have called me out and told me to stop singing and I didn't sing ever again, you know, big experiences like that. But that seem so small compared to experiences like the ones that you've had. So it's really beautiful to hear you say that and to allow myself to kind of go there and understand that my experiences are worthy, I guess, in a funny way. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, Yeah, that was a really good answer. I could keep going for for a long time on that, but I really want to jump into the book um, take a little detour because that's what's sort of on your plate right now. I'm guessing is this book has come to life. Um, I love that it's 44 ways. I, that's my lucky number. So when I, 44 is everywhere for me. And I just want to talk about that process of, this is a huge way of sharing your gifts is through a book. I think book is 
books are just this piece of art that really stay for a long time after we're gone and a bit, a way to affect a lot, a lot, a lot of people who may not know who you are yet. This could be how they're introduced to you is by picking up your book. Um, a lot of books come to me that way and people. So let's talk about it. Um, what's the purpose of the book? Who's it for? What's your hope for people when they read it? I All love it. Things. Well, the book is, you know, it's really incredible stuff, right? Because I'm this uh, student or teacher, whatever you want to call it, of this thing called fourth way. And fourth way is basically like a, a philosophical system that allows you to understand the universe, your place in it, and awakening and enlightenment. And it's very heady stuff. And if you've ever read a book on it, which I was just going to say, sounds super light. <laughs> yeah, it's like really heavy and like the books that are written on it currently are like either indiscernible or like hard to understand. And so I'm lucky. My father was an awakened teacher who taught me this work. I continued on in his legacy, studying it after he died. And, um, you know, something happened to me when I became, you know, a servant of this work. And again, I'm not like religious and I'm not a, a zealot. It really is a, gl a glass through which to see things, right? Mm -hmm. And I think I'm doing for Fourth Way what Marianne Williamson did for A Course in Miracles back when that came out. It's just bringing it to people in this completely new way. So I've repackaged cool. it and I, you know, I curse and I tell stories from my actual life. And so it's easy to understand, but the, the wisdom inside of it isn't easy to understand. It's more like an experiment on yourself. So you're supposed to take this work and go try it on for yourself and then see how it affects you. Because who gives a shit that I've found bliss or that I'm rich or that I'm happy or that all, all the, the, that all my pain has been transmuted into music and all these extraordinary life experiences. Only you matter. This book is for you. Like this book is not, um, it's not for me anymore. It was for me when I was doing the work inside of it. And then now I continue to do other work and I'll write more books, you know? So I guess for, I guess vision wise, my vision is that it becomes a New York Times bestseller. But the other day I was talking about that and I was like, okay, so to become a New York Times bestseller, you have to sell 8,000 books in one week. So you can't sell 8,000 books. Like obviously I've sold 8,000 books, but like you can't sell 8,000 books over a period of time. You have to sell it within Monday to Monday, like in a week, right? And so I was like, if I sold 7,700 books every week for the rest of my life and never became a New York Times bestseller, I would not give a fuck. Like yeah. that's not, it's not the brand. It's not the stamp. That sounds great. But I mean, to me, it's about affecting change. It's about reaching hearts and lives and changing those lives. When I was a little girl reading Ram Dass or reading mm -hmm. Alan Watts, that shit helped me, you know? And I didn't know, I didn't get to walk away from an Alan Watts cassette tape and be like, I have all my shit figured out. I didn't have that. I got to walk away and be like, I think he knows something that I don't. I think he knows something that I don't. And now I know that thing that you, not you, but that someone doesn't. And then I get to share that with them. And it's really like lovemaking. It's about connecting with someone in a way where they're like, I feel something about this person, that they are not full of shit and I can trust them. And I can go in this route. I can try these things out and then give yourself permission to try these things. I love that. And just hearing you talk about it, I mean, not that I'm, you know, qualified, but I just feel like you're the kind of person that should be teaching this stuff. And 
just because I don't know why this is coming up for me, but just because you found it, not you, but just because someone found that thing doesn't mean they're meant to be teaching it. Mm. And for whatever, I don't know why that just came out of me, but I'm sitting here like surrounded in my office, my shrine doubles as my office and thinking like I I've really truly in the last couple of years found that thing that we're talking about Mm. but I feel very private about it and that's sort of where I'm at is like torn between wanting to scream it from the rooftops like how you don't know like you don't know this thing and like keeping it very private and I'm just so grateful for people like you because mm-hmm. you have the experience you have the life I mean I found Ram Das when I was 20 you know mm-hmm. you so it's just and not to compare or say one person is more willing or equipped to be sharing this but I think for me it's like oh, there's someone out there sharing it Like I don't have to, I can just, (laughs) I can experience it and I can keep growing because that's not where I'm at in my path is to be really sharing it and screaming it from the rooftops. And a lot of my clients, I travel uh, and stay with a lot of our clients. We shoot content and Mm -hmm. spend time with them. And their biggest takeaway is always how spiritual I am because Mm -hmm. in my, I think it's come out more on the podcast, but it's private. It's very private because I'm like, still afraid it might go away. You know, I'm still afraid of saying the wrong thing or sharing the wrong thing or not being in integrity or whatever it is. And just hearing the way you talk about it, it's just like, oh, okay, I can keep focusing on marketing (laughs) (laughs) because there's somebody out there that's truly meant to be sharing this work. And I'm just so grateful you exist. I can't wait to read the book. I'm sorry I haven't read it yet. When I saw you on here, I was like, oh shit, I really wanted to read it first. But timing is everything and we were meant to talk today and I can't wait to read it. You're going to have to hang, as soon as we hang up, you're going to be like, get in the I know. That's how I feel right now. I'm like, I want to be in these meditations. I want to read this book. I want to be at Madison Square Garden. Um, Yeah, it's just been really beautiful talking to you. So I think that I had a a final question, but I feel like you sort of answered it. I don't know if there's anything else you want to share in that is having gone through what you've gone through and experienced what you've experienced and come out so, you know, beautifully tragic and I don't know. It's just, your story is amazing. And what is your advice for that? Like, I'm sure hopefully you're a human and you still have hard days, um, where it's heavy and whether it's an anxiety from a childhood trauma or something so big that sort of is paralyzing. Do you have sort of a routine or a ritual mantra or meditation? I don't know what, um, that can snap you back in. Do you sit with it? Do you let the days consume you? Do you, I don't know. Do you have any more advice for our listeners where the, the unworthiness and the lack of value and the doubt and the sadness is, is strong? Um, yeah, I just, I turn back to my go-tos, you know, in terms of like books that I know remind me of what's true, films mm-hmm. that I know remind me of what's true. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that I couldn't have a bad day, but generally my days are not bad today. It's more like I have processing days where I'll mm-hmm. get hit with something where I'm emotional about something that happened when I was young. Again, like these things I believe are connected. And then in that moment, there's a resistance, like you were talking about, to processing it. So there will be an old go-to of like, well, maybe I should eat some pizza or maybe I should like go buffer this somehow. 
Um, I don't buffer it today. I, I really try to just be there with the thing that's happening and ask from it, how can I make this make me more wealthy? And I don't mean financially, although yeah. there's always more money to, to be harvested from all of these pain points because the pain points are actually where our money is hidden. Wow. Right? So I just go in and I fucking, I take my shirt off, you know, not like literally, but I just like go, I run naked towards my pain. And I say to it, I used to say, get me out of this, or I would pray to the universe to, to take it away or to lessen it. And now I'm just like, okay, friction. Like I feel it almost like a chisel carving me into the David. And I'm so excited to see what the universe or God is trying to make out of me. Cause I know I've got even more gorgeousness going on here that I'm, I have been unwilling to see. And if I'm unwilling to see it, I'm certainly not willing to show it to you. Right. And the mm. gorgeousness again, coming back to a point earlier is also very ugly. Like what parts of my ugliness am I not willing to share? And not to the point where like, you know, you see a lot of these Instagram things going on now where everyone's getting all vulnerably sharing like their awkward stuff. And I know that's trending and I think that's great. But I think for me, it's a blend. It's like, how can I do both? I want to show you my disgustingness, that I'm going to die, that I have dirty underwear at the end of a day, like all the things. But I also want to show you how amazing I am. And it's that Jay-Z, but feeling like the humility of a homeless man in the box, freedom, that kind of parallel that I've been playing with. And I go to my go-tos. Yeah, so like if you dig my message... You just get my audiobook and like you listen to it on a bad day, right? If you don't dig me, go get Marianne Williamson or Eckhart Tolle or Ram Dass or whoever, like when they speak, you're like, oh, fuck, man, that's true. You know, if you can hear somebody and their truth makes you feel more alive, like go back to that person on those days and it will pass, you know, everything passes. So I think more so stop treating it like it's something you need to get to the other side of so you can enjoy your frappuccino like be with the pain be with the wholeness of you there's the sound bite I'm gonna use to, put, to share this podcast that was amazing thank you um no it's really it's really amazing talking to you I feel really really grateful that the universe has allowed us to speak this morning because um, I feel like I'm on that path. I feel like I'm there and you're a really beautiful reminder. And that what you just said about, you know, I think for me, sometimes the resistance to using my tools is pretty strong. So like my tools are right in front of me. I can literally touch them. I can light that incense that I know is going to change my attitude. I know which song is mm. going to do it for me. I know which exactly which meditation and the resistance to just playing it. My husband will be like, I think we need our Muji meditation. Like when I'm starting to get like really crazy and I'm like, I don't want it. You know, I don't want to listen to it. And he'll just like start playing it. Um, a lot more uh, earthy than I am to say the least. Um, so thank you for, for joining me. And the last, the last bit I like to end with is, this is the Authentic Audience podcast and um, just a brief share on an inauthentic moment that has happened in your business and how maybe that turned into something that's authentic or went to shit, <laughs> um, but something that didn't feel right in, in your core. 
So I would say like, I don't do anything that doesn't feel right anymore. That is gone from my, that's not even under the umbrella of possibility. But I will say that as a businesswoman, 50% of what I do is inauthentic. That's not saying that it's under the umbrella of, did I hear a red flag or a voice be like, don't do that. I won't do anything. I won't touch that with a 10 foot pole. But because life is make-believe, I have to go into worlds that I don't agree with. Like, you know what I mean? Like I do yes. things that I know somehow like are supporting governments that I don't, I'm not in agreement with. I, I, you know, pollute. I fucking drink out of plastic cups. You know, sometimes I end up with a plastic straw, although I'm still not clear as to how the plastic straw is better or worse than the plastic cup that I just drank the thing out of. The point is, is that there's so much inauthenticity in being alive that I just have to bear with not beating myself up at night about it. That's the part that I'm bearing with, which is like, if I can sleep at night knowing that 50% of me is a disgusting homicidal, like I kill, you know, what do you call it? When you breathe, you're like killing like molecules. You know, I litter, I, I drive in a car that's polluting, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I do business with people who I'm just like, yeah, like you're special. You know what I mean? Like I, everything, but you have to have the Shakespearean way about you where it's like, I am not Viet anyway. I'm just playing her on TV. Would I be upset if a character in a movie, if Forrest Gump littered? No, because that's not even real. That's like a movie about a movie about life, right? So I just have to treat it that way and remember that my purpose on this planet is beyond my understanding. And if I can keep connecting with that place, which can only be done through leaving the mind, then I'll be okay. But the other 50%, it's like, I don't know. It's going to be 50% inauthentic. That's just my. I love that answer. I think that's my favorite answer. I ask this question every week. So I think that was probably my favorite answer I've ever heard. But to me, that was the most authentic answer I've ever heard. <laughs> like well, in, well, in you. your being human and acknowledging your inauthenticities is the most authentic thing we can do, I think. Yeah. And there's an awareness about you that you have about who you are in this world. And why it matters and why it doesn't matter at all. And it's just, you live such a balance. What's your sign, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, According to astrology, I'm Aries. Aries, It's just, there's this crazy like balance or like extreme like juxtaposition that is you. And it's so refreshing. It's like, I just, I've loved this conversation. I've loved meeting you for everyone listening. This was actually my first time meeting Biet. And I was very nervous because I've had somewhat of a relationship or connection to everyone I've interviewed thus far. Um, And I'm grateful for that, but I'm really grateful to start having these bigger opportunities where I can connect and meet people for the first time on this show, because it's actually my favorite thing I do. I do a lot of shit, um, in my days. And this is my favorite thing is just to drop in for an hour and talk about what we love and how to be better and how to keep growing. So thank you so much for being here, um, for giving me your time and energy. I definitely value it. And, um, to find more, um, your website is bietsimkin.com, B-I-E-T, Simkin, S-I-M-K-I-N.com. The book is, where can we find the book? 
It's on all the things, Amazon, Everywhere. Barnes and Noble, your local bookstore. It's Simon and Schuster. So it's easy. Oh, great. To it's called Don't Just Sit There. Amazing. Yeah. And then also I'm at Guided by Biet on Instagram, which is a good way to connect. Guided by Biet. I'll put all of that in the show notes. Um, cool. So yeah, I'm sort of looking forward to following your journey. I feel very invested now after this conversation in that Madison Square Garden scene. And even if it doesn't happen, the trusting that that's what's supposed to happen is just quite beautiful. So Thank you for being here. It's going to happen or better. I, I mean, yeah. I can like see it. As soon as you said it, I was like there. Um, it's happening. One way or another, it's going to fucking happen. Like I really so. fucking see you and um, I'm excited to know you. So um, and to everybody listening, uh, as always, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And until next time, keep growing. <laughs>